Hey guys, I'm Logan. And I'm Patsy. And this is Chills, a true crime podcast. For sure to give you chills. All right, guys, we are on episode number six. You're definitely going to hear Tinsley whining. As usual, it wouldn't be our podcast if it wasn't her whining in the background. All right, so episode number six, super excited. We're just going to jump right in. So today's episode is going to be on the Springfield Three. This case is pretty popular, but it's just so crazy, and I don't think you know it. Do mm-hmm. you? No? Mm-hmm. Okay. I've heard of it. So I thought, why not go ahead and cover it? Um, I thought that I knew everything there was to know about this case just from listening and watching like true crime for so long um but doing the research I realized there's actually a lot that I didn't know so I thought that was pretty interesting because I've watched and listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff about this case just before I we even started our podcast all right so on June 6, 1992, Suzanne Streeter and Stacy McCall, I am going to refer to Suzanne as Susie because that's what she went by. So Suzanne Streeter and Stacy McCall graduated from Kickapoo High School located in Springfield, Missouri. Interesting name for high school, Kickapoo. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I'm very interested in who named mm. that. <laughs> After graduation, they went to a couple different parties in the Springfield area, so they just did a little bit of party hopping. Um, so they went to a couple parties in like the Springfield area, and then I read on Wikipedia that they also went to a party in Battlefield, Missouri. Um, I only mention this just because I've listened to, like I said, a lot of podcasts on this case, and no one has ever mentioned this. Now, Battlefield is basically a part of the Springfield area. It's a really small town. Well, I say really, but it actually has 2,000 more people than the town I went to high school in. So (laughs) it's small, but not as small as as our, our town. But this town actually didn't even have a post office. So it's pretty small. So they planned to spend the night at their friend Janelle Kirby's house. So I'm going to refer to her as Kirby because it looks like, just from all my research, that's what she went by. And I just really like that name. I don't know why, but (laughs) I love the name Kirby. (laughs) It was her last name, but like I love that. I don't know why. So they decided a little before 2 a.m. that her house was just too crowded. It wasn't like it was like an all-out rager. Um, Kirby had had lots of family staying with them. So like out of town family because, you know, it was their graduation. So she had a lot of family staying with them. And so the girls just thought that it was too crowded. And so they're like, all right, we're just going to go back to Susie's house. We'll stay the night there. So the the main reason why they were going to stay at Kirby's house is because all three of the girls plus Kirby's boyfriend, they had plans the very next day to go to a water park in Branson, Missouri. So they were just going to leave from Kirby's house and it was going to be fast, like faster and easier. But like I said, it was just way too crowded. So they decided to go stay at Susie's house. So Susie Streeter lived with her mom, Cheryl Levitt. Cheryl was a 47 year old single mom. Her and Susie had moved to the Springfield area in 1980 from Seattle, Washington. Cheryl divorced her first husband, Brent Streeter, which was um, Susie's dad, very shortly after Susie's birth. They moved on to East Delmar Street, so the house that they currently lived in, um, on April in April 1992. So just a couple of months before 
the graduation. So, like, what, two months before the graduation, they moved into this house. She had divorced her second husband, Don Levitt, in 1989. Um, and I found this interesting because no one mentions anything about, one, Susie's dad or Cheryl's ex-husband in any of the podcasts I listen to. And I feel like that that's kind of a big deal. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, in my research, I found that Don's creditors began like basically harassing Cheryl to pay his debts after they got divorced. Um, and she even hired an attorney, an attorney to locate him, but without any success. Hmm. Obviously, you don't know what's going to happen in this case, but I feel like that's kind of a big deal. If, you know, people are contacting you to pay his debts whenever you guys are divorced. So, Cheryl was a hairstylist, and it had actually inspired Susie to become a hairstylist. So, that's what she wanted to do after high school, was to follow in her mom's footsteps. So, back to Susie and Stacy. So, they left Kirby's house around 2, around 2 a.m. And at this point, it would have been, you know, June 7th, since it was 2 a.m. in the morning. And Stacy called her mom and left a message letting her know that there was a change of plans and that they were going to go stay at Susie's house. So, obviously, it's back in 1992 wasn't cell phones right she left a message um and so then the girls drove their separate vehicles back to Susie's house so fast forward to the next morning remember the girls had plans to go to the water park and they were supposed to leave from Kirby's house so like they'd made plans after they had decided to go stay at Susie's house they're like all right we'll meet you at Kirby's house like we'll meet you here we'll leave from here so Kirby calls Susie and Cheryl's home multiple times with no answer, so her and her boyfriend decide to head over there. So around 9 9 a.m., they arrive at the house. All three of the girls' cars were in the driveway. And then I do want to note that Susie parked in the same spot every single day, which I feel like this is common. Mm -hmm. I feel like even at our house, we kind of park in the same spot every single day. And on this particular day... Kirby noticed that she was actually in a different spot. So, take with that what you will, but mm. interesting, very interesting. And I'll show you um, an aerial shot of the way the cars were parked real quick. Let me pull it up. So, here's the aerial shot. Mm. And, like, I feel like you can definitely see that somebody could have parked, because this is where she parked right here. Mm-hmm. And you could definitely see that somebody's car could have been parked there. Mm-hmm. And that would make sense why she didn't park there. Anyway. So, again, they arrived at the house at 9 a.m. And they noticed that the outside light, not like the bulb itself, but like the shade that goes around. Mm-hmm. Like the glass part of the outside light was broke and that there was glass like laying on the floor in front of the front door. So, Kirby's boyfriend... He'd found a broom that was just sitting on the front porch. So he went ahead and, like, sweeped up this glass. And it was, like, a completely innocent thing. Like, it wasn't... He wasn't, like, trying to cover up evidence or anything. He literally just, like... Still, I I don't know if I would have done that. Yeah, but, like, imagine, like, walking up to somebody's house and just seeing that it was broken, like, right in front of the doorway. So you would have had to literally step over it. Uh, Yeah, I guess that would make sense. And if there's a broom right there, why not sweep it over to the side a little bit? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that definitely makes sense. And honestly, I feel like that's really nice of him to sweep it up. So the front door was also unlocked. Some people people think that this is odd, but I honestly don't think it's that odd, especially at this time period. I feel like no one really locked their doors. I've always locked mine. (laughs) Yeah, but in 1992, (laughs) like, I feel like... 
And I mean, it is 9 a.m. in the morning, so it's not like it's in the middle of the right. night. True. That's true. Yeah. So they went into the house and they found Cheryl's Yorkie, which is, that is what we have. The little whiner right here. That's what we have. We have a little Yorkie. And so they found her Yorkie named Cinnamon, and they said that she seemed very agitated. But there was no Susie, Stacy, or Cheryl anywhere in sight. So while they were in the house, the phone rang, and so thinking it may be the girls, Kirby answered it. And the police have actually never released what was said in this phone call, but it's labeled as strange and disturbing, and supposedly it was an unidentified male making sexual remarks. So she hung up and then immediately received another call also in sexual nature and so then she hung up the phone again so then kirby and her boyfriend leave the house never calling the police and i don't know how i feel about this i don't i mean i guess it wouldn't be like that big of a deal like walking into the house and not seeing them you're like okay probably they went to go do something else and it's not like they have cell phones back then i don't know so it probably wouldn't be that weird it probably wouldn't be that weird okay so several hours later, Stacy's mom, Janice, called the house multiple times without an answer. So she decided to go to the house. She noticed that all three of the women's purses were sitting on the floor of the living room in a neat line. So basically like how you would do if you were getting like up early the next morning mm-hmm. to go somewhere. So like I know whenever we go on vacation or everything, we set up our stuff in a neat line the night before. So that way it's way easier to go. So basically that's kind of what it was. And then in Susie's, room, in Susie's room, she saw that her daughter's clothes from the night before had been neatly folded. So clearly the girls made it home the night before. She also saw that all three of the girls' cigarettes were left inside the house because all three of them did smoke. So Janice called the police from the home's telephone to report the three women missing. I want to mention that when she did call the police, the officer asked her to get her daughter's dental records. Hmm. I feel like it's kind of a weird thing to say to someone whenever they're filing a missing persons report. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to jump ahead. Maybe. I don't, maybe it takes a long time to get dental records. I don't know. But kind of odd. So after placing the call, while checking the phone's answering machine, she listened to a strange message, but police do not believe that it was connected to the prank calls that Kirby received. I don't really understand that in any way, shape, or form. Um... I feel like that that would be very odd to just so happen to receive two prank phone calls and then to also have a prank phone call message on your me- like answering machine. Hmm. I don't understand how you can rule those out as not related. Me that definitely seems related to me. So I also want to point out that they were filed as missing persons 16 hours after they were last seen. So, I mean, that's a pretty long time. That is. Yeah. So, but it's, I mean, it's not like it's so weird that Mm -hmm. it took that long, but like, you know, they weren't seen, they were seen at like 2 a.m. the night before, and then at this point, you know, it's the very next day, like later in the afternoon. So, it's not weird that it took that long, but they just hadn't been seen that long. So, other friends and family were called, and they all came to the house, and police estimated that the crime scene had been corrupted by 10 to 20 people who had visited the Levitt's home. So this is a big deal that there were 10 to 20 people in this home. Obviously, whatever evidence there was was, disturbed. was completely, mm-hmm. yeah, 
destroyed. So, upon the officer's arrival, the scene showed no signs of a struggle except for the shattered porch light. And the dog, Tinsley is kicking her toy outside of my, outside of our little filming room, and you're probably going to hear it. I apologize. So, the dog, speaking of dogs, um, Cinnamon, was anxiously running around inside the house, and police noted that the blinds inside the home were apart as if someone had been peeking through, looking outside during the night. It appeared Cheryl had been in bed watching television, her glasses and a book were on the nightstand, and then she had her cigarettes and her lighter that were still, like, in the home with her. And again, if you're a smoker, I feel like you're 100% going to have that with you if you left. You'd think, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I've never smoked, so I don't know, but. Yeah, I mean, if you're a smoker, you think you'd take them with you, Mm -hmm. especially if you have a pack. So. Yeah, obviously, all the personal belongings were left in the house. Like, the purses, money, the cars, the car keys were there. Again, the cigarettes and the dog. Mm -hmm. So, police followed up on leads, interviewed individuals who had attended the party, as well as relatives, friends, and then even ex-boyfriends. So, Stacy's mom and her family and friends and just, you know, anyone that, you know, knew these girls, they handed out thousands of flyers about the missing women and I read somewhere where they hand, like they handed out like something like forty thousand flyers. No. Yeah, like it was a crazy number like that. There's, I can't remember the exact number, wow. but it was a crazy number. Where the heck are these girls? I'm gonna move on to the suspect, but that's pretty much basically all we know. Like hmm. we don't know where they went. We we have no idea what happened. It's like they just vanished. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's exactly it. So, now I'm going to move on to the suspects. So, the very first suspect that the police looked at was Cheryl's son, Bart Streeter, which was also Stacy's older brother. Mm-hmm. So, he had, they had previously fought about his drinking problem, but he was ruled out after providing authorities with an alibi. Authorities also suspected Susie's ex-boyfriend, Dustin Reckla. Dustin and his friend, Michael Clay, were already on the authorities' radar. Get ready for this having been charged with vandalizing a mausoleum at a local cemetery and removing gold teeth from a corpse. So, these two boys, and apparently there was a third one. I don't know. I couldn't confirm that, but I did read in a couple other articles that there was a third third boy. But they would break into these mausoleums, cut off the corpses' heads, then take out the gold teeth from the corpses, and then catch the head on fire. Gosh, that's yeah. so morbid and wrong. Then they would take the gold teeth to pawn shops. <gasps> and sell the gold teeth. Would they actually take gold teeth at the pawn shop? Yeah, they actually took the gold teeth and they sold the gold teeth. I'm wondering though, I'm very curious, like what would like what did the pawn shop owner think? These kids just constantly coming in with some gold teeth? I know. They weren't like, oh okay. Like this is weird, but hell, whatever. And gold's I got some gold, gold I guess they figure. I don't know. Uh, real strange. Real strange. So whenever Susie found out about this, they obviously broke up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so real weird. That's just nasty and morbid, and I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, just the thought of digging up a dead body, never mind chopping their head off and stealing their teeth. That's just wrong. I know. It's in crazy. every way. I mean, I couldn't find, like, where they went to prison or anything for that. But, I mean, they were charged with vandalizing. But, like, 
I would think that you would be charged with a lot of things. Yeah, because, I mean, even though they're already dead, you're disturbed a body. And that's, I just... Yeah, I feel like you would wrong. be charged with something like exactly. that, too. But Dismemberment of a body. I don't know. Something. Yeah. Something. Yeah, I feel like you would be charged with that. So, um, they did have alibis, but I guess that the alibis were a little shady, and so they are still considered persons of interest. They're not, like, suspects, but they are still persons of interest. So then a tip came in um, from a woman who said that she was on her front porch at approximately 6.30 a.m. whenever she noticed a Dodge-paneled van with a greenish hue, which was out of place and didn't belong to any of the neighbors. She said that she saw a young woman who looked distressed in the driver's side and heard a man's voice saying, back out slowly and don't do anything stupid. I have a lot of questions about this because, one, this came out after the fact like, after the girls had, like, gone missing. So, like, it wasn't phoned in, like, right away. Two, she was on her front porch. How did she hear this man saying this over the engine running? And she didn't phone in, like, right away until she, again, saw the three women on, like, television. And she said that she recognized Susie as the driver. But why would she phone in at all if it wasn't true? Yeah, but she didn't you think... Real, you know that there's people out there who, like, say things like that. Just to be part of the investigation. So the police did find that this was credible, though. Um, And so they actually bought a van just like it, painted it the same color, and parked it in front of the police station with the police phone number to call in for tips. I'll show you the picture of the van real quick. Those vans was pretty popular back in 92. You can look at the van right there. Uh, That ain't the van I was thinking of. Oh, it's not? Yeah, that van wasn't... Those kind of vans weren't popular, no. Really? Yeah, that 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 would definitely be out of place. That's something somebody would notice. I read where like a lot of people owned these type of vans, though. I'm thinking like a, a Ford Aerostar or something with paneling on the side. Is what I'm. This thinking. does that's, have paneling, now, though. I can't remember the exact make yeah, of this. Yeah, that's that's definitely an older model van. Yeah. I well, I don't it. know my vehicles, but that's definitely not a '92. I know that. Yeah, so it's a little bit older. Anyway, so the police did say that. They found it credible, and so they went through all that to put that in front of the police station. Again, we apologize for any squeaking or noise from Tinsley. I feel like we're definitely going to have to start, like, pinning her up or something because she's crazy. Even though a lot of you guys really enjoyed her picture that we posted on our Instagram, she's just way too loud. (laughs) Okay, back to this case. So, the police did end up getting a lot of tips, but they actually didn't lead to anything. And so, eventually, the case went cold. On December 31st, 1992, a man called the America's Most Wanted hotline with information about the women's disappearance, but the call ended up getting disconnected when the switchboard operator attempted to link it with the Springfield investigators. So, the police said that they believed that the caller had prime knowledge of the abductions and publicly appealed for the man to contact them again, but he never did. Hmm. So I don't know if this was just maybe like a prank or something, because like, why would you hang up? So who knows? I feel like it. it's not like a super reliable thing. And then in 1996, a Texas inmate named Robert Greg Cox claimed he knew the Springfield Three were dead. Okay, so a little bit about Cox, because I do want to kind of just give you guys a little bit of information just to kind of understand this guy. So, he had been arrested and convicted in Florida for the 1978 murder of Sharon Zellers, and I definitely want to cover this case because it's pretty interesting to me, so I definitely want to cover it at some point. 
So, the conviction was reversed in 1989 due to insufficient evidence, but then in 1986, he pleaded to kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon in California. And so he was sentenced um, to nine years in prison for that crime. So he was, like, in prison. So then he ended up getting paroled in late 1990 and then soon returned to his childhood home in Springfield, Missouri. Hmm. He worked as a mechanic at a used car lot where Stacy's father was employed as a salesman. A lot of interesting things. Mm. So he was interviewed by the police in 1992, but claimed he was with his girlfriend on the morning of June 7th at the time. And his girlfriend at the time collaborated, like, corroborated this uh, alibi. Collaborated. Corroborated this alibi. Lord. So, by the late 1990s, Cox was behind bars yet again and was serving a 30-year sentence for armed robbery in Texas. And then this was when Cox told um, the KY3 news reporter that he knew about the disappearance and that he said that the Springfield 3 was dead. Um, And he also claimed that their bodies would never be found. And around this time as well, this was whenever his girlfriend came girlfriend at the time not his girlfriend at this point but at the time mm-hmm. um she came forward and actually recanted her initial her initial uh corroboration of his alibi hmm. and she claimed that cox told her to lie if the cops ever asked where they were that night in june so cox is definitely an attention seeker and the police were are really uncertain as to whether Cox actually has any involvement in this or not, or if he was just trying to, like, stay in the limelight and, like, stay relevant. Get started. Exactly. And there's absolutely, like, no concrete evidence to pursue this. The only, like, the only thing that they have is that he just so happened to be in Springfield, Missouri at the time, and that he worked at the same, like, mechanic shop that Stacey's dad worked at. But there's no other evidence, and I mean, so I get it. Um, But he wasn't with his girlfriend because she just said she lied about it he wasn't with his girlfriend but his parents like they did i did read where he came back with oh i was with my parents and his parents confirmed this obviously i don't think he was actually with his parents Mm -hmm. but again wow he has an alibi technically and he actually stated to the authorities and journalists that he would disclose what happened to the three women after his mother died yeah. <laughs> uh huh. So, so I kind of feel like that's guilty because he doesn't want his mom to know about it. I don't know if it's guilty or if it's literally him just saying things so that way he's relevant mm. in the world mm. and people care. My thought of this is he doesn't want his mom to find out he did it for sure, so he wants her to already pass. Yeah, but then why then would you even confess? come forward to the reporters and say, I know what happened? I don't know. Obviously, your mom's going to be like, did you do it? But if she was really with him, then she knows he didn't do it. I think I don't think she was with him, but I think, it, I think it's just like a ploy. I don't think that he really knows. I think he's just literally trying to be like a shitty person. So Cheryl and Susie were declared legally dead in 1997, which is like, that's, that's always really sad. Um, I'm sure it's extremely hard for, like, family and stuff, um, to literally not... To try and move on. Yeah, like, I don't know how you move on. 
And then in 2002, law enforcement received a tip that led them back to the unidentified green van spotted in the area of Lovett's home the evening that the women vanished. Um, the caller indicated two men who had been working for a local concrete company at the time the women disappeared drove a green van. The caller told police that the two men buried the women's bodies on a farm in Webster County after a two-week search of the property. Items found at the scene and results of the search warrant were sealed. So, we have absolutely no idea what was found there. Clearly, though, it couldn't be their bodies because we would obviously know about that. But whatever was found there was sealed and we have no idea what was found. And again, obviously, wasn't their bodies because this is still an open case. Like, it's still a cold What's case. What's the purpose of sealing it so the public doesn't find out about it and it's... Uh, maybe, like... Basically, yeah, so the public don't find out about it, so that way they can use it against somebody. If if somebody comes forth and says yeah. they know that, and yet it was never published, then... Yeah, exactly, that's, something that's what like I thought. that. Um, so then Kathy Baird, who is a reporter, took a personal interest in the case and began an independent investigation that led her to a parking garage at Cox South Hospital that had been under construction in 1992. The hospital is only five minutes from Susie and Cheryl's home, and then the now chief of the police department, Mark Webb, confirmed during his time as a lead investigator at Springfield Police, tips were in fact received early on in the investigation, directing them to this hospital parking garage, but none were thought to be credible. And so Baird contacted Rick Norland in 2006 and asked if he would assist by scouring the area with ground-penetrating radar. Norland is an expert in this field and reported to AOL News that he did in fact find three abnormalities that are consistent with grave sites approximately three feet below the surface of the concrete. Norland recommended that a core sample be obtained from the area by drilling a hole to submerge a camera or device and positively determine what the abnormalities are. That is a direct quote from that news article. When you said these three guys worked with concrete, that thought crossed my mind. Yeah. But I well, thought, eh, that's far-fetched. And that Even is, though I've heard of it happening before many a times. Yeah, that's actually the I only didn't... reason why I mentioned that story, mm-hmm. because I have not seen any podcast yeah. that mentions that van, like that specific tip. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's important that someone says, oh, okay, they work in concrete. Mm-hmm. And then just so happen this this thing right here happens. You know, they get these tips about this hospital parking garage. Um, wow. Mm. So despite these findings and recommendations to police, a spokesperson for the Springfield Police said it was not worth the thousands of dollars it would take to verify. Baird then, who was the reporter, offered to cover the cost of the drill, like of the core sample, but the police spokesperson responded that their own expert concluded that these findings were not credible other experts in the field of ground penetration disagree with the police spokesperson and agree instead with Northland, Northland's findings. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So when asked, like the police, when asked if an independent team would be permitted to access the area to obtain a core sample, media relations at the hospital issued an email indicating that this was an issue for the Springfield police and that they would only cooperate if Springfield police wanted to take on this investigation. Wow. I know. I just don't know what to think about that. I don't either. Like, that's, like, crazy to me. Because, I mean, like, okay, 
even if it isn't like these three women, something is underneath mm-hmm. this ground. And there's three somethings. <laughs> so why would you not? Like, I feel like thousands and thousands of dollars is not much to pay in order to, one, solve a cold case. Yeah. Um, two, like, bring closure closure to the family. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I really don't get it. I mean, this case has been a cold case for 27 years. I mean, I, I don't know if it, they'd be able to find any kind of DNA on them. I, I don't know a lot about DNA. I don't know if there'd even be really much left. But, but regardless of if you can even find, like, any clues as to what happened to them, the fact that you would know, I feel like, would be yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. But I was just saying, maybe you'd be able to find out who did it if there's yeah. DNA. But I don't really know with them being, if they really were submerged in, in concrete. If, yeah. I, I don't know. And the fact yeah, that you... Once you get, like, if the concrete goes underneath the fingernails and stuff and you try to get it out... You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you just don't know. I don't know. I did read that, um... I feel like it's going to disturb all the DNA that may possibly have been there at one time. Yeah. I did read what led, like, Kathy to this spot mm-hmm. was actually a, like, psychic. And so I guess, apparently, that that has kind of a lot to do with why they didn't want uh, to yeah, do this. I can see that. I can see them thinking that way. But still, I feel like there's enough evidence with the fact that they did, like, the ground penetrating radar and stuff, that Mm. there's something there, Mm. and I feel like it's definitely worth checking out. I can just... I'm trying to, like, put myself in, like, the family's shoes and be like, like, okay, we know that there's something here, Mm. and just to to feel like what it would feel like to know that this could be where they're at, but there's nothing you can do about it. And you'll never find out. Mm -mm. No, not at all. So, fast forward to February 2019. Reports surfaced that Barrett Street... Barrett... Oh, my Lord. Bart Streeter. Words are so difficult for me today. Was arrested on suspicion of public intoxication, disorderly conduct, and then attempted false imprisonment of a 15-year-old girl after a February 28 incident at a nail salon in Tennessee. So, remember, Bart is the uh, son couldn't really find any more information about that but i'm just putting it out there that he did he was and he may not be was he convicted um he was there were reports that surfaced that he was arrested that was in 2019 yeah and it's just now beginning of 2020 so it might take a while for it to go to trial yeah so there's not really much information on that um, there is a reward fund of $42,000 that has been established for the location and prosecution of the persons responsible for the abduction of the three women, which that's a lot of money. And anyone with information into the disappearance of the three women is requested to contact the Springfield Police Department or Crime Stoppers. So real quickly, I want to just give a rundown of each woman's, each woman's description um, and then I also found some, like, age progressions um, online, like, mm-hmm. pictures of age progressions of what they would look like now. And I'm going to post that on our Instagram page and then probably Facebook and everything else. But I do want to just give a little rundown of what they looked like at the time. Like, obviously, they could have changed a little bit, but, I mean, some things are still kind of going to be the mm-hmm. same. So Cheryl Levitt was five, 
foot and then 110 pounds. She had brown eyes, short bleach blonde hair, naturally curly hair. It was longer on top and then shortened back. She had a thin build and then had freckles on her neck and her upper chest area. And then Stacy McCall was a white female who was 5'3", 120 pounds. She had blue eyes, dark blonde hair um, that was to like the middle of her back and then it was sun lightened on the ends. And then she had freckles on her face and then a dimple in the middle of her chin. And then Susie Streeter was again was also a white female, 102 pounds, 5'2". She had brown eyes, straight bleached blonde hair. It was shoulder length. She had large teeth with no dental work. And then she has a three and a half inch scar on the top of her right forearm and then a small tumor in the left corner of her mouth, mouth, which gives the appearance that she has something in her mouth. Like, you can't see it just mm-hmm. by looking at her, but it looks like there's something in her mouth. So, hmm. wanted to mention that. Yeah. Because. That's a distinctive characteristic. Yeah, exactly. Somebody. So, now I want to go over, like, just a couple of theories just for a couple of minutes. Um, there are so many theories about this case. Um, some people say kidnapping. Some people say uh, sex trafficking. Some people say that it was a calculated murder. I'm sure sex trafficking was around back then, but it definitely wasn't heard of. Yeah. Because I mean, we didn't have, you know, uh, Facebook and all that social media to get it out there. Yeah. But it probably was around. I just We just didn't know about it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that could be true. I just, I don't know what to think. Some people think that they ran away, but I don't think that. I, I don't really either. don't think that don't that's either. the case in any way, shape, or form. But that's easy for people to think that because that's a quick answer. No. I mean, I don't know. Some people think that it was, that the whole plan was for the girls. But I don't think that's the case because the girls were not supposed to be at home. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. They were going to stay at Kirby's house. So Unless they were being watched. I think... Yeah, that's true. I mean, it may or not have been planned, but if they were being watched by somebody. Or if they met somebody at, like, the party and, like, they came home with them. But this was calculated. Whatever happened to them, the person calculated this down to, like, the very, like, everything. All of the steps were calculated. Because there's no, which, I mean, I guess there could have been evidence, but, I mean, it was. It was disturbed. Yeah, like it was basically there. destroyed from the Which being I can't there, but... blame him. I mean, if somebody comes up missing, they're going to come to your house. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, what are you going to do? Say, oh, no, you can't. You wouldn't. You're not thinking clearly. Clearly. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it definitely was planned. Like, something was planned mm-hmm. to happen, though. I don't know, a part of me still feels like the mom was the target, though. And then the girls just so happened to be there. And I mean, you again have to think about the fact, like, okay, no one mentions the dad and no one mentions the ex-husband. Not saying that they did this, but like, I'm sure did anybody look at them? Though. Yeah. So Stacy's mother, Janice McCall, has never given up hope that she will find her daughter alive, and founded the One Missing Link, which is a nonprofit organization that helps other families search for their missing loved ones. I know you hate when I put you on the spot. But what is your initial, like, gut feeling that happened to them? I think they were taken. And I think they were buried in concrete. Yeah. I do. I, I feel like that was my, me too. 
I feel like that's my thought too. Because I don't so think easy. it's human trafficking because no. somebody would have seen them by now. Mm-hmm. Somebody would have recognized these women. I it's think been it was someone years. That, that saw them, liked what they saw, and was taking them somewhere doing something, and then they just didn't want to cooperate, and they said, "Well, that's it." Mm-hmm. So, do you think the girls were the target or the mom? No, I think the girls were the target. The girls were the target, I and the mom just so happened to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's my thought. Yeah. That's it for the case portion of this episode. I have a fun little, well, not really a fun little story, but just a little story for you. (laughs) (laughs) So, as you know, I went to the dentist yesterday. And while I'm sitting there getting my dental work done, the dental assistant is talking to the dentist. And she's talking about her house. And she was like, I just wish that my garage was attached to my house. And I had to, like, physically stop myself from saying, no, you don't. Israel Keys preyed on people who had attached garage, <laughs> who had attached garage, so that way he could escape easily. You don't wish that you had an attached garage. It scares the crap out of me every single day whenever I walked out to my garage. No, you don't. I just physically stopped myself from saying that. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how your whole mindset changes once you start listening to <laughs> murder and mysteries. So, this is the person I've become that I have to forcibly hey, make sure stop myself from talking about murder. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> They they would look at you weird though. Oh, one hundred percent. Because you can tell that the you can tell that this dental assistant and the dentist they're not people that uh that listen to true crime. No. But I I think it's very addicting. I think once you start listening to it, it even as oh, even as sad as it is, I feel like in some way we're doing some good by bringing awareness. Just like this, you know, it's twenty seven years old. The chances of us reaching somebody that it, you know, is going to be solved is slim to absolutely zero. But Stranger things have happened, at least though. we are bringing awareness to a case that is 27 years yeah, old. 27, which is crazy. I can't imagine. And I mean, a lot of a lot of people want to do the new cases and stuff, but you know, these cases are still cold, and and you know, their loved ones are still looking for them because they never got closure. Yeah. Uh, the other day I was taking Tindley out, and like basically how my back door is set up. So I have my back door and then right behind my back door, I have my stairs to go down to the basement. And then I have a coat rack right behind the back door. So I was taking Tinsley out and then I, <laughs> I like turned around and I like looked and I got so scared for a second cause I thought that someone was standing behind me. It was just a coat. Um, <laughs> but for a sec- but it made me like think and I was like, holy crap, like what would it feel like to be one of these people though? Mm-hmm. Like, what would it... Like, I can't imagine the fear. Yeah. Just because of how freaked I got out from a freaking coat, the fear of if it was an actually, like, a real person standing behind me. Like, it's terrifying. Like, that is so terrifying, and I cannot... I can't even fathom it, honestly. Like, you... Because you can't fathom it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't happen to you, it, you can't fathom it. And I can't... I cannot fathom that. Like, that's terrifying. On a lighter note, I did find a new podcast that I've been binging. Really? Yes, I posted it on our Instagram. It's Crime Wives. Crime Wives. I think I'm like in episode like six or something. Mm. It's really good. I like it a lot. They do do a lot of talking, so I don't know if you'll like it as much in the beginning. That's why I kind of wanted to set our podcast up like this to where we talk at the end, so that way you can just go ahead and skip on out Mm -hmm. if you don't want to listen to it. Because I'm very like picky whenever it comes to my podcast if I like actually like to hear about non-crime like non stuff. Yeah. So, 
But I feel like that's that's all I have for this week. Do you have anything else? No. No? Oh. oh that one show on Netflix. Which one? Uh, Vanished in Broad Daylight, I think it's called. Oh, I haven't watched it. I still have to watch that one. It's I know. Just, everyone keeps telling me to watch it, but oh it's not Oh, my gosh. I, I just... I don't know what to think about the whole thing. I just Take, said it with my mouth Is it Taken open. in Broad Daylight? Uh, or Vanished in Broad Daylight? You go ahead and look. Uh, Brandon and I started the... Uh, what is his name? Aaron Fernandez? I think oh, that's his yeah. name. Yeah, we started that podcast. We're only on the first... Well, we're on the second episode now, but... Started that podcast, or started that documentary, and very interesting, kind of crazy. I kind of started that one, but I just, I, I, I don't know, something came up and I just never finished it. I, I feel like it, they're focusing so much on other things, I'm just like, I want to get to the murder. Yeah. But, I mean, I understand that it's literally about him and you kind of have to focus on his life, but like... I just want to know what happened. Like, that's what I'm ready for. Abducted in plain sight. That's what it was. I haven't watched it just because it's about a kid, and it's hard for me to watch things about kids because they're but so sad. I will say it's, it, it's, it doesn't have that sad of an ending. Okay. It doesn't. It's just your mouth is just going to drop and go, what? Are you kidding me? And yeah. I don't want to give it away, but you, the whole time you'll just be going, oh, my gosh, is there really people like this in this world? I mean, I... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. All it's right. good. I definitely have it's to watch good. it today. My mouth was open through the whole entire thing. Yeah. All right, but that's it for this episode number six. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.